Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, a presentation of Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades, culminated his ministry with a 21-year book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called Life Study. This Life Study is the basis for our program today and includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's program. As Christians, from time to time, we pass through stages of spiritual dryness. We just can't seem to find the flowing and satisfying water that previously has wonderfully quenched our inner thirst. Actually, God will lead his people to such a dry place to test them. For when we are short of this living water, our real inner condition is surely exposed. Such was the case with his people Israel as they journeyed in the wilderness following Jehovah God in Exodus 17. Ron Kangas is joining us again for our program. Welcome back, Ron. I always enjoy fellowshipping the life matters in the Word, especially in Exodus. All of us here at Life Study of the Bible have remarked, it seems, almost every day how fresh and vivid these pictures are in Exodus. As you said, there is something here for all of God's people right now, isn't there? It's a book of pictures, but we need to see the pictures And then we need to have the right understanding of the spiritual significance of these pictures. And that's what we're getting in message after message. I really appreciate it very much, and I'm happy to participate in fellowship concerning it. Well, today we're going to join the children of Israel now some two months after their miraculous deliverance from Egypt. And they've experienced many miracles by this time. And they're being led day by day by this pillar of cloud and at night a pillar of fire into and through the wilderness. And they've come now to a place seemingly without any water to sustain them. Let's join Witness Lee. Before I talk something about the tempting of God, I'd like to fellowship with you in this way. Suppose we were there. We came to this place, not by our choice, but by following the pillar. We saw so many miraculous things, and we experienced so many things. And even this morning, we even ate manna, but no water. Now, what should we do? When you really get into such situation, I don't think anyone would pray, would praise, would thank. Near all of us would firstly say, what is this? What the leading ones did? Surely they were wrong. But when they were quarreling with Moses, the pillar was still there. The pillar never left them. In front of the pillar, they complained to Moses. You brought us here to kill us with this thirst. They just forgot the pillar was there. And many of us can testify. While we were seeing why this, why that, the pillar within us. We did sense the Peter. Yeah, we sense the Peter there. Don't think this is just a picture of the children of Israel. This is your photo. Moses was a good photographer. He took a photo of all of us. But if we do know the ways of God, we shouldn't complain and we shouldn't question anything. 
Why? Because to get out of Egypt was not initiated by us. It was altogether initiated by God. God initiated the Exodus. And God sent Moses to us, charged him to tell us how God would do everything to bring us out of Egypt and bring us into the wilderness, that we may serve him there. And he did everything for us, and he met all our needs. Not only so, we are here not by our choice. We are here by his leading. He led us here. You see, he's still there. The Peter is still standing there. So we don't need to worry about the water. Surely he would not kill us here with the thirst. He will provide us the proper water. So we should be at peace. Sister, if we are so spiritual, I would say not only we would thank the Lord, we will all jump. Praising, thanking, singing, knowing that our God brought us here and he has his plan and he will surely provide us whatever we need. It should be so, but it was not so. Ron, the children of Israel, even though they had experienced so many miracles by the Lord for their deliverance, for their safety, for their food supply, but now they've come to a place where their thirst uh, seems to be in danger of not being satisfied, and they revert to their old habit of murmuring. God's people, including us, are often inclined this way when we get thirsty, aren't we? Yes, and that for two main reasons. There's that verse in the Psalms that says that God's people, Israel, they saw and knew God's mighty acts, but they did not know his ways. God's ways, God's principles of acting were revealed to Moses. So God's people murmured because although they had seen and witnessed firsthand, and were even involved in directly God's mighty miraculous acts, now, when they're in a situation of thirst, it seems to them as if there is no God in practicality. They can only see their situation, and they do not know God in his ways. And another reason for their murmuring is, They were just in themselves and in the natural life and in the flesh, and this needed to be exposed. There's nothing like thirst to manifest a real spiritual condition before the Lord. And that's often expressed in murmuring or complaining. We may take murmuring and complaining for granted. We may assume it has no significance, but that's not God's view, and that's not the view of the proper Uh, representatives of God, murmuring, at the least, is a sign of thirst, and it's a sign of not knowing the Lord, and it's also a sign of not having much faith, if any, in the Lord's ability and intention to provide for us in a seemingly dry, arid, and waterless situation. Well, that very much matches our experience. Whenever we get spiritually dry, everything seems to be an irritant, a bother. But when we're well satisfied and when we are really able to touch and drink of the living water, 
we become remarkably resilient, it seems, to a lot of the outward things that otherwise would really slay us. It really makes a big difference whether we drink the Lord as the Spirit or not. It's very practical. But in order to drink, we need to have the vision of him as the rock smitten and with the Spirit as a living water flowing, which is, you know, the main burden in this message. Well, in this coming portion, we're going to see the three main parties here in this scene, God, Moses, and the children of Israel, all under a kind of testing. Let's join Witness Lee. Oh, those redeemed people of God, they forgot everything. Even the Peter was still standing there. They quarreled with Moses, and they said, Is Jehovah with us or not? The Peter was there. We all may laugh at them. You have to realize, actually, we are just like this. In teachings, in doctrines, in messages, we will talk quite nicely. But when the actual situation comes, we forget everything. It seems that we don't have God. Is God really among us or not? Yet the pillar is here. God's right in you. Yet you would say, is God really with us? Now this is the picture. According to the Bible record, Massa, M-A-S-S-H, was a new name given by God to that very spot. The original name was Rephidim. Then after this uh, event, God gave a new name to that place, Massa. And this word means what? It means tried, tested, tempted, and proved. A place which is a kind of a test, not only to Israel, not only to Moses, even also to God. In that place, the Israel tested God. And God tested Moses. And God also tested Israel. All the three parties were put on test. Only God passed the test. The children of Israel failed. And Moses failed. You better read Psalm 81, verse 7. There it says, God at Massa put Israel on test. Of course, we know in principle, every kind of situation, every kind of happening is a test from God to us. How God tested them? God purposely brought them by the Peter to a dry place. Number one. And God purposely, probably in the whole day, from morning till evening, God didn't do anything. Number two, God didn't do anything for the whole day. This was God's way to test them. If God brought them to a place full of water or to this dry place right in the morning, God came in uh, to give them living water, what they were could never be exposed. If they did know God's ways, they would pass the test. They would say, thank the Lord. He brought us here. He brought us here with his purpose. He would never let us down. He will all the time meet our need. Let's praise him. Let's dance. Let's sing praises to him. How about Moses? When children of Israel quarreled with them, Moses right away reacted. Why quarrel with me? It was not we that brought you here. Is this a victory or a defeat? 
Moses didn't pass the test. Then after his reaction, he went to the Lord. He cried to the Lord. But the way he cried to the Lord was a kind of accusation. Now you can see Moses was altogether a failure. But the goodness was this. This was the first time God didn't condemn them. You see, this was the first lesson. But the next time, 38 years later, he said, ye rebels, should we fetch water out of the rock twice? <laughs> Which God didn't tell them to do this. God said, go to speak to the cleft rock, not to beat again. But Moses didn't speak to the rock. Rather, he spoke to the rebels. Should we fetch water out of the rock? He smote the rock twice. That break God's economy. The second time, God would not forgive Moses. God said, Moses, you could never enter in the gold land. Well, Ron, it was pointed out here that whenever God's people are brought to a dry place, this really becomes a place of testing. What about this three-way test that we see here, Ron? God, in a sense, was being tested by Israel. Israel was being tested by God. And Moses, in a sense, was being tested by both God and Israel. That's right. You've got a multiple test going on here that God was put on the test by two million-plus of his people that had no water. And what will God do? And how will he meet this need? And as we see here, God is not only tested, he's the only one to pass the test. But Israel is also tested by God because God, we have to recall, deliberately led them into this situation. They did not get there by accident. Sometimes in our misconception, we may think, oh, The believers would never be in a dry situation. They would never be in a desert situation. The Lord would never lead them into such a situation. But that's not the case. Paul said Israel's history is a type of us in the church age, and the Lord will lead us to test us so that we would be exposed, so that we would come to know ourselves. So Israel's tested. So God's tested by Israel. Israel's tested by God. And then there's Moses. Moses is a kind of mediator between God and Israel. So he's tested by the people. He's tested by their murmuring, their complaining. And his reaction, although not seriously wrong, indicates that really he failed this test. He was kind of bothered and he was troubled. Then also God is testing Moses as his representative, to see how he will react in this situation. Well, here, he, that is Moses, he failed in a small way, and God really overlooked that. But sometime later, when there was a similar test, uh, Moses failed by sinning against God's governmental administration, against the principle of redemption, by smiting the rock a second time, And that caused Moses to lose the privilege of entering into the good land. So thirst is a big test. If you're the parent of a large family and you've got multitude of children, if not a multitude, at least a number of children that are thirsty 
and they're whining and complaining, that's a test to you. How are you going to handle that? Well, so the people failed the test, and Moses failed the test, but our God can never fail any test. He is the only one who can pass a test, and only when we're one with him by drinking him do we have any hope at all to pass the test of dryness and thirst. Well, we're going to go back and examine the test a little more closely in this last section. Let's join again Witness Lee. The need of quenching water is always a test on three parties. A test from us to God. A test from God on us. And also a test from God and God's people to God's servant. Quite often, According to our experiences in our family life, marriage life, and church life, God quite often allows us to come to a dry stage. When there's no satisfaction, no quenching source, no rest, no refreshment, the whole family will be exposed. The couple in the marriage will be exposed, and all the members in the church will be exposed. This is the reason a number of times the Lord did bring us to the dry stage to expose us. Whether we pray, whether we sing, whether we praise, whether we dance, whether we murmur, whether we complain, all will be contested. Very few times the people of God could pass God's test. Even the servants of God. This is the picture. Actually, the flowing water that comes out of the cleft rock should be the water of peace. It should be the water of peace. But due to our failure, it becomes the water of miracle. What does this mean? Striving. Quarreling. Contending, fighting. All this means what? Means we are just sinful and not faithful. As we are such, so sinful, so unfaithful, then God should stop. Stop the provision. Stop the living water. No, God didn't. God still used the law to smite his Christ that the living water could flow out. This shows on God's side his faithfulness, his mercifulness. Then on our side, our sinfulness and our unfaithfulness. When test comes, we could not pass through the test put upon us by God and by his people. This is a good picture. This indicates and shows us that the shortage of Christ as the quenching source is serious. It's crucial. So we must have him. If you are going to let Christ throughout, you need to be identical to him. He was cleft. Today, you need to be cleft. He was smitten. Now, you need to be smitten. Otherwise, the living water within you would not have any way to flow out. So we all have to uh, 
be identical to the smitten Christ, that the living water within us may flow out. Ron, when the Lord leads us to and through the dry places, we will nearly always fail the test. What does Witness Lee mean here when he says that if we are going to let Christ flow out, in other words, if we're going to pass the test, so to speak, we have to be identical to Christ. He was cleft, so we need to be cleft. He was smitten, so we need to be smitten. This is a very precious point in spiritual experience, but it needs to be rightly understood. With the death of Christ on the cross, there are two main aspects, the redemptive aspect and the life-releasing aspect. To say that we participate in the redemptive aspect is blasphemous, it's heretical, and it's an insult. We do not suffer for redemption. Only the Lord did this. But we have Colossians one twenty four, where Paul says that he made up what was lacking of the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. This refers to the life-releasing aspect of the Lord's death. With that as the background, we now can consider this statement that we need to be cleft and that we need to be smitten. Well, Christ became a rock through incarnation. As such a rock, he was smitten in his death to release the flow of living water. Now, we who serve him and who would minister Christ as the word of life and as the supply of life, we need to be one with him, living a crucified life, and being smitten, being cleft, having the self broken, having the outer man broken, that our regenerated spirit, with the spirit of life mingled with it, can be released. A striking illustration and example of this is Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, where he says, Death is working in us, but life in you. He speaks about the putting to death of Jesus, experiencing this. What is Paul talking about? Paul is talking about being identified with Christ as the cleft or smitten rock. That is to be one with Christ in his life-releasing death so that through us as a channel, the divine life may be released as rivers of living water to flow into God's thirsty people. This is what the New Testament ministry is all about. If we remain whole, protecting ourselves, not experiencing the cross, not having the genuine experience of the breaking of the outer man, if we are not identified with the cleft and smitten Christ, then there is no way for there to be an outflow from us. So this word is especially to those who regard themselves as ministers of the Lord. To minister for the Lord is not just to teach the Bible. It is to impart the Lord as the living water by being identified with him as the smitten rock. I can testify of Brother Nee, and especially of Brother Lee, whom I work with personally for many, many years. 
These two brothers were really one with the smitten Christ. That is why from their writings, living water flows. And we're happy to bring this to the attention of our listeners on two levels. What two levels? One is the level of your personal thirst. If you're thirsty, as indicated by your own kind of murmuring and complaining, then we encourage you to drink the living water that's been released not only through Christ himself, but through the faithful ministers of Christ who are identified with him. Another level is that some of our listeners may feel that they're called to participate in the genuine New Testament ministry. For their benefit, we would point out that you need to consider this matter of our being identified with the smitten Christ. We need to drink and we need to be broken. That is, experience Christ in his crucifixion, that living waters may flow out of our being into the inner being of God's thirsty people. I think we'll close on that note, Ron. Thank you once again. You're welcome. For Ron Kangas today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. If you have any questions or would like to find other Christians in your area who also enjoy this ministry, feel free to call us toll-free at 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 1-888-543-3788. Or you can email us, radio at lsm.org. Thanks for listening today.